0: Hello, Michael here with a quick disclaimer. The episode that you are about to listen to was originally recorded as a live event, meaning that it was recorded and streamed over our Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash Academy, or broadcast as a live event or recorded as a live event for our YouTube page, which is youtube.com slash Academy. Hopefully you will understand why the audio quality of this episode is not quite up to the same standards you have come to appreciate and expect From our show. And on the off chance that when you listen to this episode, you don't really notice a difference between this episode and a regular episode, don't say anything because that will make me cry. Thanks and enjoy the show. No, I'm serious. This audio is much rougher than usual, even for a live event. Uh, There was some problem with my audio in particular where I was going up and down very drastically to the point that sometimes I'm so low that it wasn't picked up at all. And uh D and Mitch breathed a little heavy into the mic when I was talking, so there's a few times where you can hear his breath kind of over top of what I'm saying. The good news is that Mitch's audio is fine. It's as good as anything else we normally get on a live event. So you can hear everything he says without a problem. It's only my audio that's a little bit rough. I've done pretty much everything I can on the back end to fix it. It it is better than it was, but it's still not up to our standards. It does get a little better. Like the first five minutes are worse than after that. And around the 40-minute mark, uh, it gets even better. So for what it's worth, hopefully you will go ahead and listen. To be honest, I was not going to release this episode because it was so rough compared to our normal standards until some of the people that were in the live chat told me that they thought the content was good enough and that that it should still come out, audio issues uh, be damned. So hopefully anyone listening will agree that uh, the content and what we talk about is worth the poor audio quality. So thanks, and on with the show.
1: Hey, thanks for uh, inviting me. I'm excited to be on Detention. Detention is my personal favorite of the RPG Academy uh, <laughs> Network's episodes. Uh, I I enjoy the loose format, and I'm just happy to be here.
0: Well, we are happy to have you. We've, we've been trying to make this happen for a while, wanting to get you on the show in some capacity, and it worked out well. I, I did it. I made it. <laughs> <laughs> you got yourself thrown into Detention.
1: Congratulations. <laughs> I can quit now. Exactly. I'm done with podcasting. Yeah,
0: bucket list is complete out that we're live so that you can retweet it. Cause you have a lot more followers. On it.
1: While you're doing that, I'm going to talk about what you told me not to talk about. Okay. I'm going to talk about what I'm drinking tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Tonight I am drinking a mixture. What is it what does it look like, Michael, to you?
0: Oh, it looks like leftover bacon grease.
1: Okay.
0: Uh with mold in it.
1: Yeah. It is delicious. It is exactly what Michael said. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Um, I've been trying to be healthier, so it's fruit blended up with some coconut water and some juice and some kale and it's actually really good even though it does look like barf so that is what i'm drinking well, you tonight know,
0: all that matters is that it tastes good you know what it looks like
1: it okay. tastes it really tastes delicious and it's super healthy that kale doesn't eat can pick it up but you have to tell them what you're drinking even though they know already
0: you all know i'm, I'm a teetotter i'm boring it's, it's water i don't even have my l8 tonight I don't, that's I don't healthy that. too man
1: hey michael so anyway we will any move questions on. for us uh not well
0: i do have a question for you actually um <laughs> What have you been up to? What, we'll start with extracurricular. So, what has Dean Mitch been up to last couple of weeks or so?
1: Oh, man, this has been a pretty crazy um, summer, not even last couple of weeks. My job as a youth pastor keeps me pretty busy. I've been uh, gone on retreats with my students for a while. So, that's been keeping me busy. But beyond that, let me talk about what everybody's actually interested in is the uh, geeky part of my life. Sure. So, Game of Thrones has started. It is amazing. It is it is a crammed with great stuff season. I am currently in my second year of doing uh, a Game of Thrones fantasy league because, you know, <laughs> I find sports boring. So this is how I do fantasy league. Sure. Uh, and uh, House Connolly is in the lead currently. So you on Greyjoy has been uh, pulling in lots of points for me. So that's been uh, fantastic. Not to give any spoilers away. He does some stuff. Uh, Beyond that, uh, I've been repping Team Mystic on uh, Pokemon Go, going out and catching some legendaries and joining in on raids. I've been uh, trying to grow a beard. It's (laughs) a terrible experience. I hate it, and my wife hates it, and I'm at the breaking point of I might shave it off, but people are encouraging me to keep going. And this is something that just happened today that I am super excited about. I just got this. I've been waiting for this in the mail for a long time. Ooh. Dark Souls, the board game. And it is, from what I hear, it is a cooperative game uh, up to four players that the game just kicks your butt hard. Yeah, I And that's n- my favorite time, a type of cooperative game.
0: I know nothing about that other than just from periphery. Everyone mm. says that it's ridiculously difficult and you're going to lose and you're going to die.
1: And that's how it should be, because that is Dark Souls. But I'll tell you what, there's a point to which I also buy some board games because I go, you know what? If that game sucks, at least I have those beautiful minis. And this game's minis are like freaking fantastic. They are gorgeous. Um, I'd pull them out, but it's going to take me. It's yeah. a new box, so it's going to take me 25 <laughs> minutes to open it. So.
0: Well, we could just turn this into an unboxing video. <laughs>
1: there you just, we go. You that, you know, do that. It's the first time I've opened it. <laughs>
0: So yep, we have a couple people that look like they are joining us. Thank you very much, uh, Target. Hello, everybody. And, uh, NY Tater, also PB Dragon eighty three. So thank Ooh. you guys very much. Lots uh, of
1: food references.
0: <laughs> so as for myself, uh, pretty boring, working a whole lot. I haven't haven't had a chance to game a whole lot. I think it's happening. Uh, we were supposed to play Dark Discovery last night. It had been like over a month. Finally, the stars had aligned, and like at the last minute, I had to camp. Uh, uh, my wife ended up getting strep. Like she just wasn't feeling good. And she went to the doctor and then she just was like, uh, I have strep throat. So obviously we weren't going to play And You know, people aren't going to come yep. over. So like the last minute I had to cancel, which is so frustrating.
1: Are so like, you feeling that itch? Like,
0: <laughs> well, that's the thing. Cause I, I talk a lot, obviously. Uh, so I'm constantly have a little bit of a dry throat and also have allergies. I'm in a basement full of black mold, apparently. So yeah. So I'm constantly like,
1: <clears throat> you know, yes. that kind of thing. <laughs> So yeah, so I one- meant the itch for gaming, but no, no, that's not good. You're getting sick. <laughs> I know. Uh,
0: so the biggest thing for me is we're getting geared up for Gen Con. It's two weeks, actually two weeks from right this moment, I will be uh, at our pre-Gen Con event, uh, hopefully hanging out, playing some games. Uh, so that's basically what I've been working on. And then uh, obviously at catacon today we had a new vendor jump on board. There's another event up in Columbus. We're talking about doing a sponsorship exchange to help each other out. So that kind of stuff. But, you know, nothing too exciting, I guess. Uh, I wish I was doing a little bit more exciting. I, I will say that our trial of Fantasy Age, which I really liked, started coming out today. The first episode is out on our uh, podcast feed. Uh, we got Chris Pramus, who's the designer of that game and president of Green Bean. But uh, I really like that game to the point that, like, I'm actually, like, kind of infatuated with Fantasy Age right now. I'm really wanting to play it. uh, But that keeps falling through, too. So, I don't know. Eventually, I'm going to get to the point where I can actually play it. And I may go, yeah, this isn't. Yeah, I thought it would be, but it's not. Uh, So, we'll have to wait. But with all of that out of the way, it's time for everyone's favorite game. Oh, boy. Ten things. So, apparently, tell me ten things that you are most excited about for that Dark Souls board game.
1: Oh, dying, dying again. Two, and again. Three, trying out the warrior class. Four, and the knight. Five, fighting the dragon twins. Six, not fighting the dragon twins. <laughs> <Seven>. More like <laughs> the beautiful minis and painting them. Oh, eight, getting together with my friends and watching them die. Nine, always, a and good watching them die again.
0: Ten.
1: Woo-hoo. I'm going to ask a, a, a question before this. Sure. Uh, Michael, how much do you know about Pokemon? Very, very little. On a scale of good. To ten, I would say. Here's my ten, 10 things. things. Good. Here's my ten things. Uh, Michael, you are now in charge of uh, creating ten new Pokemon. What are the ten names of the new Pokemon that you create? The Squiddle? One. That's good. <laughs> I'm trying to remember the names I'm now saying. Mikachu? Oh uh, Pikachu round two
0: <laughs> Michicus Diemicus? Oh three, I want that one real. Uh, now I'm done. Caseo? Four. Uh Mick Intosh? Five. <laughs> Macrobraph? <Macrophonogram>. Six. Uh this <laughs> <Iphonicus>. one seven. <laughs> I phonicus. Uh, Eight. Mouser. Nine. <laughs> uh, Mystic sucks Ten, What?
1: Batreus <laughs> uh, Ten Who's, Who told you to say that?
0: Dirty Habanero
1: uh, He's definitely a valor I hear the aggression
0: <laughs> Nice So that was an awful version of Ten Things But Mitch, thank you very much for playing along Oh, that with. was
1: great Yeah, thank All right. you
0: So now we're into the heart of, of the show And one of the big reasons we wanted to have you on uh, We're going to go into used books and this is where we take a look back at a, an old campaign. Maybe it failed spectacularly or maybe it ended well, but basically we want to kind of relook at it. So if there's anything we can learn from it, you know, think of it like a used book. There might be notes in the margin that will help us out. So talk to us about this uh, campaign that you want to introduce. And then if there's any lessons learned from it, so I'll turn it over to you, sir.
1: Um, so those people out there who are maybe familiar with uh, the dungeon masters block and with me and, Uh, fans of story time on my podcast may already know a little bit about uh, this campaign that I'm going to talk about. But I did a campaign that I entitled The Journey on the Unending Sea about, it ended about, I would say, a couple months ago. And this entire campaign was a very tragedy-filled, dreary um, campaign. Uh, Basically, the The premise of the campaign was that they were explorers that had the ability to be on these ships that had these new steampunk slash magic engines that allowed them to be propelled fast forward on the ocean. And they were planning to go on the unending sea. Uh, That's the title that the sea had been named because it's supposedly uh, the gods have uh, this legend that it has no end and the mortals have taken this legend. And they wanted to figure out if there was an end to it. Are there lands beyond it? Uh, Is there just an edge to the world that we fall off? And the first half of this campaign was the PCs on this boat. And it was just like night after night, it was problems that they had to fix on the boat, running into dangerous things on the unending sea that wanted to kill them, uh, running out of food, uh, running out of water, crew members going crazy because they were on this the open ocean for so long. And it was a very, very tragic, crazy... Uh, there were ghost possessions on the ship. It was terrible. It was an awful, awful time for them. And then at the end, they did reach land they reached the edge of the world and they were went on an adventure over the edge, which brought them to my underworld. So they thought they were at the point where it was going to get better. And it (laughs) only got worse. I literally took them to hell uh, for that campaign. And this is something that if uh, anybody's familiar with uh, me for my show, they know that something that I love in storytelling is tragedy because I think tragedy leads to, some of the greatest role-playing opportunities for players who embrace it and chances for players to be, to have their PCs be the most heroic of people when there's tragedy being brought before them. And so something that I learned from this campaign was there was so many nights that my players seemed frustrated at things, uh, seemed upset, seemed angry uh, at situations that were brought up. And not saying that there weren't moments that I made mistakes because I'm sure there were, uh, but there was this turnaround for most of those moments with the tragedy and the difficult and the challenges that were presented to them, that even though in the moment there may have been frustration, um, even in the moment, a lot of the times sometimes like it got to the point where I was like, are you guys okay? Like, are we like, (laughs) are we going into too dark a territory here? Like, I know this is not uplifting. I know that you guys knew that about this, but are we good? And even amongst the frustration, a lot of times the players would say, no, no, no. Yeah, it's frustrating. Yeah, this is difficult. But they loved it. And even if it wasn't exactly in the moment, usually by the end of the night, they walked away going, oh man, that was so good. And it gave them something to talk about. And it also gave them this feeling of we overcame. And so, I think uh, what what I learned from that is I know that there's a point to which using tragedy is going overboard and (laughs) unending. See, that's funny. I'm funny, (laughs) Uh, but like there's a point to which you can do it too much. And I would say like after that campaign, I was like, okay, I need to kind of like lighten it up in my next campaign a little bit and allow it not to be that dreary. Not that I will shy away from tragedy because I love it and I think it it's good for games, but. It was just so dreary. I think you can go overboard on it. And I think you have to know your group and know where their breaking point is. But at the same time, I think that with the right group, with the right players who are mature enough and have the right mindset, it can really just stretch them role-playing wise, uh, stretch them to make sacrifices as characters, sometimes even make the sacrifice of their character And it can just stretch them to really delve in deep to who their player character is and how they would react to really difficult situations and it can really if you add in challenging situations too you really start to stretch their minds and stretch them as a group to work together and and so that was that was something that to me i took away really from my from this game and i was just really impressed by how my players played and their attitudes about it and even in the moments where I thought they were the most frustrating when I had to like pull back from like role-playing as the DMB like are we good? Like there was there was pretty much always the answer of yeah we're good like this yeah I'm frustrated but I'm good I'm enjoying it so. <laughs> okay
0: so a couple I guess takeaways or things I would call out there because I've had similar situations myself but I I don't think I was mature enough as a person and certainly not mature enough as a DM to properly handle that. Uh, I know I've mentioned several times before about some of our campaigns that, you know, back in the day where every NPC that you met was going to die. It got to the point where they would just not talk to NPCs because they knew all I was going to Mm. do was to turn around and, and punish them. And like they would go into a village and the village would be nice to them. They say oh please can you help us and go you know blah 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 and they come back and the village has been destroyed by ogres and everyone's dead you know i just I, it was just tragedy after tragedy and i never gave them any sort of levity it was just everything was awful and i was trying to recreate some of the fantasy novels that i have read as a you know as a, as a kid or as a young adult and they had these like you know weighty stories with the, where the characters and the the heroes changed know they became different people and better people through that type of tragedy and that arduous journey and i think my players just wanted to roll some dice kill some goblins and you know go forth and do that and this was back before i did session zeros i didn't know anything about them i thought they were dumb if i did and i think there's a lot of expectations so it sounds like to me that your players bought into this idea and even then Maybe there might have been some opportunities for a little bit of levity or just a a reprieve from the endless tragedy at some point.
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, I think one of the things that was good about um, the the campaign as a whole was before we began, I kind of gave them a couple. You know, these are these are kind of stories that I'm thinking about doing and they really wanted to do this journey on the ending sea. A lot of the players were like, "No, like we have had this set up from the lore of your world and we just want to know. Let's do it." And I remember saying, "If we're going to do this guys just so we know it's going to be a rough campaign. Are you guys good for that?" And they were like, "Yes, absolutely." We had also come right off the back of a campaign that was very Classic high fantasy, heroic, like, deeds. It was much more lighthearted, lots of comedy. And even in the tragedy, I'll say there was a lot of comedy, and you still have to be open for those moments. But I think you're right with um tragedy in gaming. It can't just be, all right, I know what's going to happen. They're going to talk to this NPC. They're going to come up against this monster and try as they may, this monster has X amount of health they won't beat it. I'm going to beat them down. Like they're going to lose. They're going to be TPK and whatever it is. Or, you know, there's no good outcome to this. There's no way that they can have a resolution to this problem. I think there always needs to be in a gaming sense. I think there always needs to be some sort of resolution. Even if it's a resolution of like, you guys did the best you could, not all the problems were solved, but you guys did this. And this helped us get through the next challenge or, or to the next challenge. Um, and I think when we're talking about enemies, if you're setting up a battle that can't be win one, I know as a player, I've been, I've been there where I fought a monster before. And I knew that the HP of the monster was X that I had no chance. Uh, and I remember that battle being like, Oh, the players are all doing really well. And we're thinking smart and we've done so much damage. And you could see this, everybody looked around the table and was like, we can't beat it. We've done like 700 hit damage. To this guy, we can't, we can't do it. He's not going to let us do it. And I would say if there, if you're going to have moments like that, you need to make that into a cinematic moment. Don't ever have your players sit around and try to figure something out or battle something that doesn't have a solution. Cause that's not tragedy. That's not tragedy in storytelling. That's just, that's just frustrating gaming. That's just a, a a broken game mechanic on the side of the dungeon master, and it's just not good.
0: Couple things that I want to call out there. So one, D and D, most role playing games, but D and D specifically, is built upon a cycle of challenge, but then success. You know, you're supposed to have difficulty, but you are supposed to win most of the time. You know, if you talk to someone about D and D. Uh, one of the pieces of advice I'll give to a new DM is you're supposed to lose. Like, you know, your bad guys are going to lose. Your traps are going to get bypassed. Your your mastermind plans are going to be foiled. That's your job is to lose. And in a game where you really want to sort of bring that down and, and make it dramatic and tragic, that doesn't happen as often because the PCs can't win that often or it changes the tone. Or they have to be partial victory. Okay, you, you save the town, but... This NPC still died or, you know, this town was saved, but another town was not, or the, you know, there's, there's got to be something that doesn't make it a perfect victory or it's no longer truly really tragic for players to understand, unless you, again, session zero and talk about the, why you're doing this in the tone. And then something I've said before is I think most D&D games go towards comedy because comedy is easier. At least bad comedy, the top comedy you're gonna have around your table or you're quoting Monty Python and you're making jokes and that
1: That's my favorite kind of comedy, bad comedy.
0: But yeah, and the thing is I think that it's I think it's easier to do bad comedy than it is to do bad drama. Because if you're trying to do drama and it's not working, it becomes comedy. You know, the person who's trying to be serious and everyone else is just kinda of like you know. So it's almost like a protection method where you will kind of make a joke at your own expense. So, unless you're committed to drama, I think most games are going to devolve into comedy anyway. So it's it's kind of easier just to go for what you think you're going to get. But I think real comedy is harder than real drama. But if you're willing to commit to it, I think there's a lot of value and fun and entertainment that can come out of that type of game. I and mean, I imagine this is the game like you said where they may not have actually had fun in the game to game. Probably a campaign they will look back on fondly and tell stories about the rest of their lives.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, one of the things that you said too is important is I think that it is about maturity. And I mean, we've, we've on our show, and I'm, I'm sure you've talked about it on your show too, but we've talked about like gaming with kids probably not the thing to do with kids (laughs) Uh, you know go aiming for that like i'm just want to break their characters down like and and like you as the dm need to and it's a hard thing to say you need to be mature enough because you know that's the balance of like are you mature enough like pretty much everybody's going to say yes whether they're mature enough or not but like you need as the dm need to realize that tragedy doesn't mean i'm there to kill them I'm there to make their life terrible like player or PC like tragedy should always have that aim of this is this tragic thing that I'm placing into the game or the, the aspect that could turn into tragedy depending on player choices and such. This is all with a focus on, I want the players in the end to look at this and be like, that was good. Like, Even if it's like rough on their characters at the moment, it has to be that was good. And I think it all comes into maturity with a a group too. Like tragedy is not the game I would say for first time DMs to go right into and focus on. You can still have tragic elements in your long campaign or whatever it is, but I wouldn't say go full tragedy for your first campaign. I think one of the reasons why it has worked so well in the campaign that I, I just spoke about is I feel like through the years of playing D and D with my group, we've hit like all the classic problems and we've, it, you know, it's taken different amounts of time, different amount of energy and stress, but we've gotten to this point where as a group, we are strong and we all see very, very, like we are different, different play styles, but we all see that we are trying to work together to have a, fantastic time together uh to laugh together to have a a good story building experience together and i think like you reach a point with your group that you're like i know my group i know what they can handle and i also know what they will end up liking and i think it just comes with the more time that you dm especially with the same group i think it's it'll get better and better to the point where you know you know what it is uh, that they can handle as far as tragedy, comedy, whatever it is. I,
0: I've I've found about myself is that when I do games now, especially, as I always like to do something different. I like to experiment in some way. I, I don't have what I would consider a, a normal game. There's always something about it that's a little bit different. And I think that, again, that's just because I've done it for so long and I've gone through, like, I've done that. I'm like the Simpsons in that regard. Like, do you want a campaign? I've done that campaign already. So I want to do something a little bit different. But one thing that you said i want to touch on going back to that mat- maturity as a person and as a dm is let's say one of your players <laughs> had a really bad day maybe they're having some real life issues it's okay to be like you know what we're not going to play this game tonight because you're not in an emotional state where you can enjoy what we're going to do let's uh let's play dark souls instead because that's a hard game or maybe you pull out a one shot of a different game that's funny and upbeat you know because again everyone at the table should be friends Whether you're friends just inside D&D, or outside of D&D, whatever, you're still friends, you owe them something to try to give them a a safe space and a fun place to be. And sometimes that's just not, you know, sometimes you gotta make that call as a DM or as a player. You know, Not to get too dark, but you know, a few years ago, uh, I lost my mother very recently, very suddenly, very unexpectedly, and I, you know, I had commitments, so I would still play, but the tone of the game shifted pretty drastically, because I wasn't in any sort of shape to deal with any sort of tragedy. So the games that I ran and certainly the games I played in, the people around me were all like, yeah, let's, you know, let's not talk about that or let's not put any of the characters in situations where like a parent's in danger or a kid's in danger. And you know, again, if you, these are your friends, you should know somewhat of going, what's going on in their life. And if not, again, that's what the X card is for. You still want to provide a safe space. It's a pretty common technique. You put a, a card in the middle of the table and say, this is the X card start talking about anything you don't want to talk about or you start getting uncomfortable, you just tap the card. That scene is over. No questions asked. We close the veil and we'll pick up the scene another time. Uh, and I think that's something that we can reinforce more and more to people as they get more into gaming, especially if they start gaming with strangers at conventions and that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. that I mean, that's a, that's a fantastic point. I think that even though like we're talking about tragedy, I mean, the, point of gaming is still to have a good time and have fun with uh, your gaming group, with your friends. And that is, that is, that is something you need to as the DM be careful about. You don't want to, there, there are things in tragedy that I just wouldn't even ever touch because there's so much you can do in tragedy. And there's certain things that I'm just like, no, even in a game atmosphere, I don't like, I don't see why touching on these subjects would even be fun. Uh, so, and if you were to play with somebody who, you know, they are your friends, but there are certain things that you probably want to steer clear of because it could just be upsetting, and you don't want to have somebody leave the table uh, feeling upset over something that was supposed to be a fun, and enjoyable experience. They came to. I mean, gaming for me is blowing off steam of like the the week of like. Thing, things can I can have a terrible week and it's D D night and I'm like, oh man, yes, I'm exhausted. Yep. But this I'm I'm still so excited because I'm gonna get to game with friends and have a good time, even in a tragic type of game experience. Like, but you do you do want to be careful about what's what subjects of tragedy you're focusing on. And I think it's your your job as the DM to really try to not just read like the a one player but to read the group and if you see somebody getting uncomfortable i think the x card is a really good really good idea but the truth is also that there are going to be some people that may not feel comfortable sharing people are different people are different in different ways and somebody might feel uncomfortable and in their mind they might be just saying i don't think i'm going to come anymore and you don't want to you don't want to right. hit that You don't want to ever have that in in a group to say what like, was it worth having that tragic moment, but we lost Brad or whatever, you know, that
0: would be terrible. hundred percent agree. Cause that's one of the things that, again, I don't think gets talked a lot about, at least in my experience that with the X card is that usually the person who's starting to be upset, they're. They're upset. They're having a a physical reaction to what's going on. They may not think about hitting the card. Like, they may kind of retreat. So as a DM especially, you should be watching the table. But as other players, you should be kind of like, hey, what's going on with Sarah? What's going on with Brad? You know, and maybe try to clue in that this is something that you don't want to talk about. And I want to make sure it's clear, too. This isn't just tragedy. You know, you can have a comedic game that still touches on things that people aren't comfortable with. Uh, You know, again, I don't drink alcohol. I don't have any moral or religious reasons against it. I just don't. I uh, never have, but a lot of my characters do. It's it's actually pretty common for me to have characters that do drink and to excess, because I think playing a drunk's kind of funny. You could have someone at your table that's dealing with alcohol issues or drug issues, or you know, again, how how often do you go into a tavern and you look for a game of you know dice? You could have a gambling problem at your table. So this isn't just tragedy; it's just you know trying to be a good person. And figure out where you can have the fun that everyone gets to have fun. And it's not say you can't do any of that. But if you start to notice things like, hey, every time we start getting this person seems to be acting weird, maybe we talk to them about it or maybe we just kind of don't do that.
1: Yeah. And you know what? I think maybe a good thing to do is if you're going to try and do some sort of tragic storyline or whatever it is. To start out on uh, session zero or character creation night, whatever you want to call it, to start out just saying, um, hey, guys, want to let you know, this could be a pretty dark and dreary campaign. What I want to say is, as your DM, as your game master, as your dungeon master, like, like, and as your friend, like, I, I care about you guys, and we don't want to go in a, into territory that's going to be upsetting and you might have a whole entire group of players that are just like nah that's not a worry and that's you say that's fine like that's fine if it isn't a worry then cool we're good and let's let's move on and we'll have a great time gaming but I want to let you guys know that you know the story the game like it comes second to like our friendships and so if we ever reach something that's making you feel uncomfortable you don't even need to tell me why you don't even need to tell me exactly what it is but like just shoot me a text or something. And I will try to like steer clear away from that. Yeah. Um I, I think, you know, cause y- running the game, you are the DM. The GM is a lot of times the one speaking the most, the one in control the most. And so, yeah, you just gotta be careful about that stuff.
0: Well, and one thing I would bring in here too, about session zero. So again, everyone take a drink that, it, <laughs> that it's not just about buying in like, Hey, everybody, we're going to tragedy, but in, in the character creation process, allowing them have input type of game that's going to be like, like my character might want to tragedy of X, Y, or Z, because that gives me a little bit of control. And usually when you're depressed, when you're sad, when you get upset like that, it's because you feel out of control or those go hand in hand together. So we could be exploring some subjects that don't make me comfortable. But if I've sort of asked for that, or I knew it was, I think that will help lessen that impact at the table. Is there's obviously there's therapy in role playing, like that therapists do role playing to help people. Oh, that got dark and sad pretty quick there, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, oh, that's actually a good point. I want to bring up friend of the show, Jim McClure. We uh, we were talking recently, uh, you know, he's he pretty much runs dramatic games, like that's kind of his bread and butter. So, in, um, and uh, most of the games I play with him now actually are not that way, but that's funny. <laughs> uh, and we talk about how you know, if you watch a horror movie, it's pretty common for there to be these moments of, of laughter and joking. You know, you set up like a dramatic twist or a dramatic moment, then you turn around and you have laughter and you know, his advice is that's normal. So even if you're trying to run a dramatic campaign, if there's that one player that makes that off color joke to relieve tension, it's like, that's okay. Don't be upset about that. Just, just kind of like, okay. And then go back into the story. I don't try to shut them down, but don't feed into it. Because that's the thing is if they start and then you start riffing on it, then you've turned into a 15-minute riff session, and now you've lost that tone completely. But one joke, even if it makes everybody laugh in what should be a tense moment, just let it. everybody laugh, let it die, and then now you're right back into those tense negotiations with the werewolves or whatever, uh, is don't be upset and don't try to shy away from humor, which is a normal reaction to tense uh,
1: situations. Yeah, I don't remember. Maybe it was Jim. I don't remember who it exactly was. I was talking with about horror gaming, but they were basically saying the same thing that if there's laughter from your group, your, your players and jokes being made, usually that means you're doing it right because they are trying to relieve some of that tension. Yep. And I mean, as I think as game masters, DMS, we have to be careful when we're running games like tragic or horror, or whatever it is. And we're like, Oh, I'm trying to get this exact feeling that if, we have moments of levity and joking at the table. Like you can't force people to not joke. You can't force people not to crack a smile. You can't force people. In fact, you just need to be okay with that. And more than be okay with it, like encourage it, encourage it, have fun, man. That's what gaming's about. So even in like the horror games that I have played, the handful of horror games I have played, honestly have probably been the most laughterful, Games at the table because there have been these moments of huge suspense, and it's like you need that laughter to just release some of that tension. And sometimes the laughter even builds tension because you're just like, This is a ridiculous situation we're in. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just like when you watch a movie and you're like, Why is that person going to the basement?
0: Why are you going to the basement? <laughs> exactly. Not, so, if you're in a game and you're like, Why are we going to the basement, guys? We know not to go in the basement. Uh, again, I think it's totally okay because, like at the end of the day, we're all here to have fun. And if I'm laughing, I'm having fun. That's that those go hand. In hand. Circle back around to your game. If you were the same type of game
1: with the same. Oh, that is a question I wasn't prepared for. Uh Well, I mean, for, first the one of the first things that I would say is that something I've already said already is that because we just came off of that campaign, I wouldn't do as tragedy dark and drear focused back to back uh i think that the players needed a break of that and now like the campaign i'm doing now is a darker setting but i mean it's ba- the campaign i'm doing is basically a pokemon and dnd game where you get to control monsters from the dnd uh monster manual so it's it's pretty fun it's pretty goofy at points and Uh, It's pretty awesome. So I think it's been a shift in that, in that way. Uh, But if I could do anything different, I'm not, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I, I would definitely be careful if we had new players joining our group, because I might not know them as well. But yeah, beyond that, for the most part, it pretty much went pretty seamlessly and my players enjoyed it. But like I said, that's also a a point to which we've gotten to that. I think we have a very healthy gaming group. So I'm sure if if you gave me more time, I'm sure I could come up with a whole list of things. Oh boy. Everyone's favorite. (laughs) Where have my fingers been? Where have my fingers been?
0: Uh, The galley of a ship that's been on the sea. Oh, boy, I'm hungry.
1: I'm hungry, too. We haven't eaten in too long. Way too long. And there's water all around us.
0: But I'm still thirsty. <laughs> and that's where your fingers have been. Been. Yay. Woohoo! So that was better than any I've ever done, so I'm already in the hole here.
1: All right, and now I get to give you a uh, you one, right? That's
0: right. So where have my fingers, fingers been?
1: been. Okay. Where, where have, have my fingers, have fingers been? been. Uh, in the middle of a Pokemon battle. I have no idea what's going on. Me neither.
0: Huh? I have no idea. What is that? A turtle? Why is he breathing fire? Why did he get big all of a sudden?
1: Why are we here? <laughs> <laughs> and that's where my fingers have been. Hey, woohoo! <laughs> all right, got through it. Absolutely. Yep, it's over. <laughs>
0: Uh, so let's move on to the last part of the show, this cryptozoology, and this is where we take a look at a monster from the Monster Manual. Talk about the ways that we have used it in the past, perhaps brainstorm some ways that we could use it in the future. And Mitch, you had a monster you wanted to talk about.
1: Uh, yeah, I picked a monster that, I mean, everybody knows who listens to the Dungeon Master's Block that mind flares have been for a long time my favorite monster. But I picked a monster that is really vying for that top spot as one of my favorite monsters. I picked sphinxes. I love sphinxes. I love what you can do with sphinxes, their lore, their D&D lore. I've uh, loved using them in my own world. I think they're just they're fantastic, fantastic creatures.
0: Excellent. It sounds like you've used them in the past. Uh, so give us an example of a time that you've used one in the past, why you used it and, and you know, like what you liked about the way it was done.
1: I mean, for me, uh, in my world, I've made Sphinxes uh, even uh, probably one of the rarest creatures uh, that there are. Uh, my players have run into more dragons than they have Sphinxes. They've heard legends of Sphinxes, but... Uh, sphinxes have uh, eluded them for a, a lot of campaigns um, which has been great because it's built up this like energy if a sphinx shows up they're just like pumped at the fact that there's a sphinx in the game uh, i've kind of taken a little bit out of the dnd lore about that they are uh, creatures created by the gods they're divine uh, guardians of treasures of gods or uh, a place that is uh, important to the gods And so in my world, I've made it so that there are 10 sphinxes in all of the world and each of the sphinxes is protecting some place or some item or some treasure that the gods have on my world of Atos that they they don't want falling into either the wrong hands or any hands at all. And so uh, there was one campaign, Sons of Bastion campaign, that at the end... I've also created these items that there are only a few of them called uh, Sphinx Trumpets. And they're trumpets that you blow them once, it will call the nearest Sphinx to your aid. uh, And then the trumpet, once it's blown, will crumble and it's never to be used again. And so basically for the entire campaign, my group of players had this Sphinx trumpet and were told only blow it at the right moment. You will know when that is. And so it was the end of the campaign. We had this huge battle set forth. It was like there was miles of army in front of them with the big bad standing on top of a tower, very much like uh, uh, Saruman stands on top of the tower in Lord of the Rings. And they had to get to that bad guy. So they knew it was the moment they blew the Sphinx trumpet. Sphinx came flying in, dropped down beside them, and they went flying off in the air with the Sphinx to be (laughs) dropped off to fight the big bad. Uh and it was just this awesome moment that they have been waiting for a long time to blow this trumpet uh and had this creature who at this point they knew was like these were in my world at some point these were basically the god's uh divine pets and now they are living in autos at- my in, in the world and so they were introduced to one they got to ride on one all the way to the big bad and it was just a very very cool moment.
0: Oh, very very cool. Uh, yeah, the uh, the Sphinx in fifth edition is on page two eighty 280 and two eighty one of the monsters manual. Um, don't look in the index for Sphinx because it's not there. It's under <laughs> Andro Sphinx apparently, That's right. or, or I can't spell Sphinx. One or the other. Don't. No one. I'm gonna to find me. this out. Yeah, probably. Uh, so look at the fifth edition version. Uh, it is a challenge rating of seventeen, which uh, I think it might be the highest we've looked at so far. Uh, It's got some abilities, it's inscrutable, so that means it's immune to any effect that would sense its emotions or read its thoughts. Its attacks are considered magical, so even though it uses natural attacks, they're considered magical. It is a spellcaster, equal to a 12th level. And uh, it's got action, so it can multi-attack, it can claw, it can roar. And it can roar three times a day, and each roar does something different. It's sort of, uh, each one's a little bit different. And it also has legendary actions. So for anyone not familiar with the way legendary actions work, uh, basically these just sort of happen. So like if they can just choose to do this, like if I'm going to roll a saving throw, I can be like, no, I pass. And that just counts as one of my legendary actions, which basically makes them much tougher than normal. But much like you, from what I gathered I very rarely have ever used a sphinx as a combat opponent. In fact, I don't think I've ever had a sphinx that was designed like you are supposed to fight this thing. It's always been some sort of guardian, obviously very classic that there's a riddle. They are a font of information or, you know, so, something like that, That I you know, fight them. Uh, they're more likely to fight alongside you against the other thing than you are to fight it unless you're playing an evil campaign, which that could be fun. Uh, the most recent example I can think of is this, which is still not recent. It was back in 3.0 through. Uh, is when I first started falling in love with Eberron, which again is my favorite D&D setting because I think it's awesome. Uh, one of the adventures, I, I think it's one of the published ones there's a sphinx like inside the city of sharn it's like a low level adventure like a level one or two level adventure and you go into this area of sharn and there's a sphinx that's just inside a room and asks you a riddle there And it's like this isn't in the desert it's not around a pyramid it's not you know your first level character and there's a sphinx there and i think that's kind of what sold me on everyone is like this is different than anything i've ever played before that you can have a sphinx at that low level of an encounter in an urban setting and so on and so forth so uh, getting away from the way that you've used it in the past, you're going to use a Sphinx next week. What are some interesting ways that you could see using a Sphinx in a new game?
1: Uh, I'm going to kind of go off of the, what you were talking about that you've never kind of used a Sphinx before as a combat opponent, which I have not also in my world. uh, The Sphinxes that my PCs have met have been either lawful, good or lawful neutral, uh, and so a lot of the camp- the few campaigns they've met them in even briefly, it's been a mysterious, but a beneficial for the most part encounter. Um, sometimes they are tested like uh, magical tests or riddles, Sphinx gotta love riddles. Um, but one of the things that I did not know about the lore of Sphinx and D D was the last thing that it pulls out in the uh, monster manual it says fallen sphinxes and it says whether through the weariness of the ages regret at the slaughter of innocence or dreams of worship by supplicants that attempt to bargain their divine uh, bargain their way to knowledge some sphinxes break free of their divine command however even if a sphinx's alignment and loyalties drift in this way it never leaves the place it guards or grants its secrets to any except creatures it deems worthy. And I would love to do a, a fallen sphinx. Maybe one of the 10 in my world is a fallen sphinx uh, that has broken away from its purpose. Uh, it still guards the place that it's set to guard. But instead of wanting to do some magical test to, to see if somebody is worthy, maybe it's just outright evil at this point. Uh, Maybe it's test rather than ends in like you are banished from this place. You do not receive this, uh, this powerful artifact. Maybe it ends in, I will eat you if you, (laughs) if you fail. And maybe that leads to a battle. And I think that would be a cool thing because uh, beyond that, unless I was doing an evil campaign, like you said, there wouldn't be an, a point where in my world, in my story that, the good characters would probably get in a battle with the Sphinx. So that's probably how I'd like to use it in a different way. So
0: thinking of a couple ways that maybe we could make that work is perhaps there is some sort of affliction that is causing the Sphinx to for back of our turn evil, but it's not happened yet. And they ask the party, I need you to destroy me before I turn evil. But it's still far enough along that when it fights, it, it defends itself. It's not just going to lay there. So you could have it, you know, in the midst of this sort of transformation, maybe play with its abilities a little bit to flavor it towards that. Or I like the idea of, again, it's just totally evil and it basically sets itself up like a death trap and you use the player's knowledge of synxes against them. So like they go to the Sphinx, it asks like a super easy question. Like what is the date and just something so absurdly simple that they're all like, is that, is that real? And so they get to go in, but they get to go in and it's like crazy dangerous. And like the thing they want, isn't there. And it just messes with people.
1: Yeah. I really like what you said about it being like there's some sort of affliction, uh, some sort of sickness or something that maybe some sort of ooze or parasite that's trying to take over its body and its mind and having that battle, but the entire time the Sphinx is talking to them and just saying, kill me, please kill me. You know, like, I can't survive any longer. I'm doing too much harm. Like, that's, and that's such a great battle to kind of challenge your players in, like, will they kill it or will they try to find another, a way to save it Right. while at the same time not letting it cause more harm than it's already done. Right. So that, that, again, that sets up the type
0: of thing that I actually, I love where quote unquote, the easy thing to do is to kill it. The harder thing to do is to subdue it. So they could just kill it. Might be better off in the long run, but there's maybe there's a chance to save it. So here, I like this idea, maybe the mind or the essence of the Sphinx has been removed or switched some way. So like you could have, I don't know, like a, a different type of creature. It could be a goblin or it's an owlbear or I don't know, whatever, that has the mind of the Sphinx. So it's with you, talking to you like a Sphinx would. And then you have the Sphinx body that is being controlled by something else. And so the Sphinx could it, it, it almost be like humorous where it's like, I can't believe you fell for that. Of course I roared there. Why wouldn't I <laughs> roar there? You know, so you have almost like color commentary dictating the fight while you're fighting just the body. So again, you could kill it. Or do you try to subdue it so you can switch their their minds back in some way or whatever the case may be? Sounds fantastic. There's a question. Have we seen the trailer for Shape of Water? I have not. I don't even know what that is.
1: I think I have. It sounds familiar. But off the top of my head, I can't remember it. No, but I will.
0: Once this is over, I will go Google that and see what's going on.
1: Okay, so we have. uh, Oh, I have seen it. Oh, it looks great. Is it Hellboy is my question. I don't know. Kind of reminds me of it a lot.
0: Oh, looks like Abe Sapien's origin story. I did hear something about that. That's what I was thinking. Hmm. I'm
1: down for it. (laughs) Looks awesome.
0: All right. So I'm thinking of a Sphinx because the thing is, if you go too far away from what it's known for, then why even even make it a Sphinx? Like you kind of have to keep it close to what it's supposed to do. So I like that idea of maybe ma- making the riddle, and so we'll flip it. This Sphinx has been around so long; they 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 know every riddle. So your job isn't to answer their riddle. Your job is to to give them a riddle they've never heard before. Mm. Not, not that they can't answer it. It's not that. It's a riddle they haven't heard before. I like it. Question is: Does your Sphinx tend to block a gateway or become the gateway? So I think pretty traditional. It's it's more of the, it guards it and it lets you past it. But I guess there could be situations where like it it takes you there to a place or physically like somehow transforms into a portal or maybe it eats you or but opens then- a portal. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. And I think I think the answer to that is yes. Like <laughs> you want to you want to do both. Uh, you don't want to like have it be the same. Like we've talked about, it's not like you're going to, I mean, you can, you can have a whole bunch of campaigns surrounded about uh, around Sphinxes. You can have a whole one campaign where it's like your adventurers are specifically going to these places that are all protected by Sphinxes. And if that was the case, I would say, yes, it's not going to be the same way every single time. Each Sphinx is going to have a different way of protecting its treasure or whatever it is. And something I was thinking about too is like, what if one of the treasures is the, the Sphinx itself? As a companion, that would be pretty sweet.
0: Actually, one other thing, because we talked about gargoyles a while back, and one of the things I really liked about that conversation is a gargoyle can basically remain motionless forever, and they're used to guard places kind of similar to a sphinx. And we talked about maybe a gargoyle that's that's lonely. Hmm. So you have a sphinx that tells you you didn't answer it correctly when you know you did because they just don't want you to leave yet yes so, that so, could be the
1: Fallen Sphinx but yeah. it's not turned evil it's yeah. just is like I want to hang out with somebody
0: it, it makes me think of uh, from Bill and Ted's excellent adventure 2 or death they they play the game and they keep winning and death like, keeps saying <laughs> two out of three. Because he doesn't want to give up, so you have the Sphinx that's like, you know, you ask the typical riddle, the answer is a man, uh, and then he's like, incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> and then just like, won't let you leave. Nice. So Dirty Heron Arrow is also saying it, it could paw you with its giant stone hand, but there's a reso- recess in the paw that is the gate itself.
1: So oh, you have some sort of physical... You're know, like,
0: But then you're maybe like goes up into its arm as the tunnel have of them
1: it. roll have your players roll perception checks like during battle um and you need that high high number to uh be able to see it yeah uh, you could also
0: have where the answer to the riddle is basically ignore me hmm. and, and like that's the thing it's like the, the only answer is to just Keep walking and go past them and then then you're inside or something like that. So very, very cool. So yeah, one more time, we'll throw it out. Are there any other questions that you guys want us to to touch on before we wrap up? Uh, So we'll wait just a couple seconds again because we're behind. So in that time, I'll thank you, Mitch, for very much for joining us tonight. Thank you for having me on your show a couple times in the past. I I appreciate that. I still occasionally will get people who find my show because I was on yours. So I think that's awesome. And hopefully we can return the favor in some way. Uh, I believe actually DMnastics is supposed to come out like right about now, and I'm on that one. Uh, Perfect. So at some point. And then uh, you guys are coming to a Catacon, right?
1: We are coming to a Catacon, uh, as well as Neil and Josh from DMnastics will be at Gen Con as well. So you can uh, find them and say hi. And, and yeah, at a Catacon, we will also have some goodies to hand out this time. So. Uh, Definitely, if you haven't in past years, come up and said hi to us. Uh, We are wearing our DMB shirts with our names on the back. We're pretty easy to find. So we won't wear them every day because that would be gross. But we will certainly (laughs) wear it for the first day at the uh, very least. And
0: we do have separate rooms now. So your Geek Wars, assuming you want to do that or want to do something similar. It's
1: happening. It's happening. Uh, Listen to Geek Wars podcast, uh, Geek Trivia. It is if I do say so myself, a pretty fun podcast. And yes, at a Catacon, we will be doing Geek Wars live again. And I encourage—it was a blast last year. I encourage uh, any of you to come play, even if you don't have somebody to be on a team with you. We will get you. On a team uh, and just come prepared to have a fantastic time. Yeah,
0: I've I've consistently hear from people who were part of that that was one of the highlights of their event. Awesome, they had a lot of fun. Uh, I love some, to hear some that. Some great moments and memories that they would not have had otherwise. So yeah, so it sounds like I missed it last time because I worked the entire time. I did other than
1: you working at a catacomb, I don't believe
0: oh, it. Oh yeah, oh yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Other than running games. Yep. Going to the bathroom and sleeping, I was working. There were no other options. Uh, So hopefully this year we'll be able to work it out a little differently. Yes. Uh, It looks like we actually were up to 10 people watching, though I still think I'm one. Uh, So that's nine. So if anybody's kind of new or jumping in, this is Detention. It's every week on Wednesday, 9 o'clock, kind of a loose talk show-ish format. Uh, where we just talk about role-playing games and silly stuff and do some stupid games and where where have our fingers been. Uh, But it's always a good time. So I think we will go ahead and wrap it up there. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy Podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here,